0: with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. My guest today is my good friend and associate, Devin Thorpe. Say hello, Devin. Hey, Devin.
1: <laughs> Say hello, Devin. I said hello, Devin.
0: <laughs> you follow instructions so well. I,
1: I follow instructions like nobody else, don't I, Paul? You really do. It was the last time you had a guest do that. Probably never had a guest do that. See, I... I'm your best guest ever. I do exactly what you tell me to do.
0: That's right. <laughs> and so thrilled to have you on the show today, Devin. We've known each other for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, got associated originally through the National Speakers Association. And my my uh, audience is very familiar with that because I mention it all the time. And you and I are serving on the board of directors and in fact, uh, in the executive track for our chapter leadership. So we yeah, get to work so together quite a bit. you'll be the president about.
1: next year, and, and I will follow you, which is scary. Big shoes to fill. Um,
0: well, I don't know about that. It's a collaborative team effort, uh, any way you look at it. That's for sure. Which kind of fits into your theme, really. Um, you're big about collaboration. And folks who are listening, Devin is an author... He's written several books, the most recent of which just came out in spring of 2016. And it's called Providing... Wait a second. (laughs) I'm trying to remember the title. I want to get it right, Devin. So Adding Profit by Adding Purpose. Adding Profit by Adding Purpose. Which is an appropriate title for Live On Purpose Radio. So I'm excited to hear more about that. You've had some other books about crowdfunding and uh, collaborative efforts, uh, mostly along the lines of finance. Your background is in finance. And you're also a Forbes contributor. You've done some awesome things. I I think there's something
1: in there about eradicating polio, too. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, really really passionate about that. But yeah, I think the the, the common theme for my books is that uh, most of them have, well, they all have something to do with the idea of using money for good. Uh, I'm an old finance guy, I spent 25 years uh, in a traditional finance career, mortgage broker, investment banker, treasurer, CFO, a lot of different sorts of things. Uh, uh, I launched and ran a hedge fund, but that didn't work. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But did, did all kinds of things, um, and then shifted gears five years ago, and and ultimately, although I didn't ever choose to become a journalist, I woke up one day and realized that's what I'd become. Uh, I have my show. I write for Forbes. I have three other websites that I publish content on, and I realized I guess somewhere along the line I became a journalist, and uh, which. Quite frankly, I love and enjoy, but I I don't ever recall making the decision to become one. So anyway, it's interesting.
0: It's just something that happened as a natural course uh, that followed from the other things that you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, there's probably some lessons in that too.
1: Yeah. So I speak like you do. I speak because uh, anyone who knows much about the journalism industry appreciates that it's a crummy way to make a living.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so uh, uh, speaking gives me an opportunity to share what I learn as a journalist and uh, make a living. So.
0: I know, Devin, that there are a few things that you're really passionate about and you get involved in causes. Um, I think it would be fair to say they're fairly big causes. Tell us some of the story behind that, the history that has taken you there and, and some things you've experienced.
1: Well... I guess the, what's happened over the last four or five years is I've, become to, I, I've come to sort of frame a, a, a personal mission, a mission for my enterprise. I call it the Yormark on the World Center. Um, it's basically me and some contractors. Uh, but, but the work of the Urmark on the World Center really is to um, address, solve, eradicate some of the world's big problems by 2045. Uh, that really comes from the idea of setting a goal last year to address them within 30 years. So thir- 2015 plus 30, 2045. The, um, the thinking comes from uh, studying the eradication of polio. Mm. Uh, there are really just two countries in the world where you can get polio, uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. And really, it's just Pakistan the there's a rather porous border along the, the boundary between Pakistan and Afghanistan. But the, the cases in Afghanistan can typically be traced back to Pakistan. Oh. And so that's really where you get polio. That's the only place on earth. Uh, I was there last month uh, taking a look at this. Um, and uh, I've been back three weeks. I am hopeful I went with the goal of kind of witnessing the end of polio. And it is my hope that there will be no cases of polio following my visit. The last case of polio documented was about three weeks before I got there. And so all the infrastructure is there. It's on the ground. In fact, it will operate for at least three years after the last case. But uh, to make sure that it's really gone, that no one just missed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's been exciting to track it. I've also been to Ethiopia and India uh, doing stories about uh, polio eradication there. And so I've gone pretty deep uh, in this process to kind of figure out what's driving uh, this success. And it is a success. And a couple of the things that I've learned, uh, this is an enormous effort. Uh, It's just mind-bogglingly enormous. uh, I've heard estimates as high as 20 million people are engaged in polio eradication around the world. Think about that. Wow. I mean, it's an extraordinary number of people in this public health initiative. So this is oh. this is an enormous project. And you begin to think, now if we had 20 million people working on almost any problem, uh-huh. we could solve it. So the problem is how do you build that kind of momentum? And so I've been looking at where this started, and how we got to this point. And, and there are some things that I think are key. And and uh, I really start the clock on the 30 years when uh, Rotary International took on polio as its sort of big cause. Mm-hmm. And they were thinking about it at the time as a 20-year project, 1985 to uh, 2005, and when they would have their... Uh, 100th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Well, in 2005, it wasn't done, although they'd made tremendous, tremendous progress. They had reduced the number of cases by 99% at that point. But it's taken another decade plus to get Mm -hmm. to where we're really now finally talking about truly eradicating from the world. Mm -hmm. But some interesting things. Uh, it, It really started with very small groups of people traveling from australia to the philippines to do polio immunizations mm-hmm. um it, it was just you know a, a rotary club went and did this uh, and it's so it sort of built from there uh, and, and so one of the key lessons i take from this is that to start any movement to, to start any big solution it just starts by doing something right it's yes. it, it, The first people who went to the Philippines organized one trip to go do a batch of immunizations, and they probably immunized hundreds of kids. But that that tiny drop in the ocean started what has become polio eradication. And so key lesson, just start doing something, right? And Mm -hmm. and, uh, so anyway, lots of lessons that come from from polio eradication, and and as you mentioned, collaboration is one of them. Uh, uh, Rotary International, the organization that I talked about really kind of starting this, uh, doesn't have nearly the budget nor the expertise to have done this on its own. It initially, in, in 1988, it, it uh, partnered with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control uh, in launching the effort formally, but really really and truly, uh, it didn't gain real traction until after it got UNICEF and the World Health Organization involved. And it really got serious after the Gates Foundation started committing resources to it, because the Gates Foundation was really the first big funder uh, that would put real dollars into it. Mm. Over the 30 years, Rotary's put in about 1.5 billion dollars, but that's the annual spend today. Rotary's throwing in 35 million of 1.5 billion. The rest is coming from the Gates Foundation and governments around the world. So it's wow. it's a huge, massive, massive collaboration. And uh, but it it becomes the model for how we solve big problems. This is, this is how you solve malaria. This is how you solve AIDS. This is how you solve poverty. Massive, massive collaboration. So anyway, I I will stop my rant there.
0: Lots of people coming together for a common purpose. Yeah. And, and the purpose is always about elevating the quality of human life, about getting rid of problems or, 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 Adding resources that can then be used by these people.
1: Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and uh, you know, I am. Uh, we're recording this uh, two days after this terrible shooting in Orlando. Oh yes. And uh, it's interesting. I think everyone in the world, with very few exceptions, would agree that that was a horrible, horrible thing that happened. And we need to do everything possible to stop it. But you and I live here in a very red state. And so I posted a little thing advocating gun control on on Facebook. And my friends all flipped out, right? You know, we're here in Utah, where everyone carries a gun, everywhere they go, pretty much. And so yeah, there. All my gun, all my gun friends are saying, "Devin, you're nuts." This what we needed was more people in this in the club with guns. That would have solved the problem. And and of course, my lefty friends all think that's absolutely absurd. It would just have led to more people being killed. Right. Uh, uh, so it, it's interesting that there are some hmm. things about which we can feel very passionately, but on which there is not clear consensus as mm-hmm. to a, a solution. Right. Uh, so we all feel strongly about, we don't want any more Sandy Hooks. We don't want any more Orlando club shootings, but we don't know how to fix them. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's challenging sometimes, but there are things where, you know, we kind of know polio eradication. That's one where we, we kind of know what, uh, what has to happen. So right.
0: um,
1: one of the things that we have to do in that process uh, I call uh, proven or prove it. And that is we have to use a proven solution or we have to prove that our solution is the right solution before it can be scaled right, or, or should be even. Um, okay. But really, you need the credibility of that proof uh, that you've got you're on the right path to, to really get something to scale. And right. that's one of the great disciplines we're seeing in the nonprofit world now, more than ever before. Uh, you know, the, the, the tradition in the nonprofit world was show me a picture of a baby and, and we'll all throw our money in and, and and we'll do it because that baby needs help. Mm-hmm. Now, more and more and more, individuals and foundations are only giving money when they see data demonstrate that the program we're funding is Successful. And that's kind of a, a, an important shift. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, well, a lot of a lot of cool things going on.
0: There are a lot of cool things going on, and more cool things to come. In fact, as we come back from this first break, let's dig into some of the principles that are behind the success of those movements. And I want to pick your brain a little bit more about, uh, about the money piece, too. Would that be okay? Absolutely. All right, folks, this is Devin Thorpe at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Live On Purpose Radio. We're so glad to have you here. Please come by the website drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, drpauljenkins.com. On the website, you'll have an opportunity to receive a free download. And while you're there, make sure you click on the social media icons. Come over to Facebook, where we will be posting these episodes as well as our YouTube videos and other content and announcements for you to share. Please like us, comment, subscribe, join the conversation. We're happy to have you with us here at Live On Purpose Radio. Let's all support each other to live on purpose. Dr com. And welcome back. Devin Thorpe at Live On Purpose Radio today. Live on Purpose. Devin, I'm going to tee you up with that just for a minute, because uh, your new book, the one about adding profit by adding purpose, includes purpose in the title, and you've got some sense that purpose has a key role in, uh, obviously, the meaningful nature of whatever endeavor we're involved with, but but also in the profit piece. Can you speak to that for a moment?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the here's the deal. I, I think um, I, the, the book is about corporate social responsibility, uh, the, the the obligation that companies most often feel to do some good in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes that, that view, and I think quite often that view, comes from a sense of begrudging obligation. They view it as a tax. This isn't universal by any means, of course. Yeah. But a lot of companies view this as... Oh, you know our customers and our um, our employees expect us to do this so we've got to do something mm-hmm. um, when you come at it from that mindset it really is just a tax right it's hard to convert uh, that sort of negative energy into something that's going to be profitable but what I see is when companies come at a cause with passion, the kind of passion and purpose that you talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. When people come at it that way, it energizes people. It energizes the employees. They become more productive. Uh, It energizes customers. They become more loyal. They pay a premium for your products. You become more profitable. And so you really can increase your profitability by doing effective corporate social responsibility that actually truly makes a difference in the world. I do a, there's a, a case study in the book uh, about Estee Lauder, and it's a tremendous example of an effective program. But uh, 30 years ago, they created a program, I shouldn't say 30 years ago, but decades ago, they created a program, uh, a product called Viva Glam. It's lipstick. You and I don't know about this very much. We don't use lipstick very often. Not but um, Viva Glam lipstick, when you buy it, 100% of the proceeds go to the MAC AIDS fund and they're donated to AIDS causes. And over the years, uh, they have raised over $400 million for the fight against AIDS. I mean, this is a huge, huge effort. So yep. they've become the second largest funder of the battle against AIDS uh, next only to the Gates Foundation. So you, you begin to appreciate, oh my gosh, this is really working to actually make a real difference in the world. And I've spoken a couple of times with Nancy Mann, the Senior Vice President uh, Corporate Social Responsibility and, and the Executive Director of the Matt Gaetz Fund. And she assures me that this is profitable. And I think it mm. comes to a profit. Obviously, they're smart about it, but also uh, because of that genuine passion. Um, and so some neat things happen. So people like Miley Cyrus and Lady Gaga have... Uh, become spokespeople for uh, the brand, but they don't charge their market value. They charge a modest fee to come in and and do a shoot and be the spokesman, but they don't charge their their full fees. And so they're donating millions of dollars, really, worth of branding to the uh, MAC Cosmetics. Mm -hmm. And that helps a lot. And then they've also trained their customers not to expect a gift with purchase. I don't know if you've ever bought a department store uh, cosmetics gift for your wife. I don't do that nearly often enough, my wife assures me. But when you do, sometimes you'll get a gift uh, with your purchase. You buy a bottle of perfume for $75 or $100 and they'll give you a little kit of things that the perfume maker also sells, right? Well, if you buy MAC cosmetics products, you don't ever get a gift with purchase. What you get is knowledge that you're doing good with your purchase because of this Viva Glam pro- program. So uh, they, they've done some things that have direct impact on profitability. They also require the stores to remit 100% of the proceeds. The store isn't allowed to keep any of the money when they sell the Viva Glam product. So you know there are three key things that they're doing that improve the profitability, but it still costs them money directly on this. But they, they assure me... The company overall is more profitable because of this program. And that, I think, comes from doing something that really has impact.
0: And it really ties into that purpose. When people understand that there is a meaningful purpose behind it, then they'll get behind it.
1: That's right. And you're That's right. You it, put their it's dollars exactly that. It. Uh, you know, I, I, I call it a purpose program. Mm-hmm. Right. When you have a good corporate social responsibility program, that's about putting purpose into your organization, giving your organization some sense of purpose that's beyond uh, the goal of making money. Not that there's anything wrong with making money, but, but people tend to be more motivated by non-financial things, most of us, and, and engaging that part of us in all of our employees, I think that also energizes the organization when we view ourselves as going to work for a cause and not just for a paycheck.
0: It's, it's almost a paradox that if, if you do it for the money, it spoils everything. If you do it for some higher purpose, the money will come. Yeah. But it's, it's more of a, a strategic side effect. It's not the
1: main goal. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, uh, I think, feel like me and they feel a little bit um, anxious about the idea that we should be focusing on profit with purpose because they feel like we should just do it because it's the right thing to do and the focus should be on the impact. The, The key reason to be focused on profit along with this is that if a company is making a profit along with the purpose, Mm-hmm. They'll never stop doing the good, right? They'll never stop building on that purpose. They'll never stop championing the good. The the uh, folks at MAC Cosmetics are not gonna stop selling that Viva Glam lipstick until AIDS is done. And then I suspect they'll pick a new cause because mm. they 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 that purpose becomes so powerful. And it's so integrated into the profit structure of the business that you wouldn't dare quit doing it, right? So you can it's, see that by adding profit, you actually also add purpose because you you create an infinite ability to do good when you tie your profit directly to the good you're doing in your organization.
0: Well, it becomes the economic engine for the mission.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: And without that, it... It uh, dies on the path. Yeah, yeah. It can't go anywhere without it. So yeah. I think I think that's really important to to acknowledge. The profit is not the purpose, but right. the purpose drives the profit, and then the profit fuels the purpose, and they work hand in hand that way. Yeah,
1: yeah. virtuous cycle of positivity. You know, it's uh, it's right. really. Uh, you know that purpose driven profitability is is i think the the key uh, to really solving some of the world's big problems because it unleashes money that really hasn't been fully unleashed in the past when we when we use the profit incentive aligned perfectly with purpose it, it allows for things to scale more quickly more effectively more broadly and uh, you know so uh, we think of it in social entrepreneurship terms in you know small villages around the world where where mm-hmm. we see extreme poverty it's not that people there have no money it's they have tiny bits of money but what if you could sell them something very inexpensively that would make their lives radically better there's an opportunity there right for someone to sell that thing mm-hmm. uh, and tremendously bless their lives and of course one of the key things that's being sold now into villages like that are all kinds of solar tools ranging from just a solar lamp that you you hang outside all day and then at night you have light to read and cook and do all your things in the evening and study so kids get better education you can be more productive et etc cetera, etc cetera. I mean it's just life changing with a $13 solar lamp right but um, there are all kinds of things like that scaling up from the solar lamp that we 're seeing being deployed in the developing world that uh, can be sold profitably that also have huge you know, positive impacts on uh, the lives of the people that they 're being sold to so neat neat opportunities all around the world to 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 leverage the power of profitability uh, with for purpose
0: it 's interesting devin you're bringing together some uh traditionally conflicted ideas uh, between doing good making a profit and what i'm hearing you say is that you can't separate those two they they of a necessity have to be joined together yeah. and and then they drive and support each other yeah. but to focus only on you one can of the separate others, them
1: but but often when you do you have Obviously, you do less good if you are seeking profit without doing good. And if you're seeking good without that profit motive, you may be limiting your ability to scale and have impact. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some things uh, that are vitally important around the world that need to be done in a nonprofit setting with traditional donations. That's, in my view, never going to go away. Mm-hmm. People are often critical of that model who get into this social entrepreneurship impact investing world that I live in. And and I point at the Catholic Church. I mean, the Catholic Church has been around for 2,000 years and they've operated 100% of that time on a donations model. Right. The, the donation model is here to stay. It's not going away. Um, yes. I'm not worried that we will do away with nonprofits. But if we can add to that ecosystem... People who found opportunities to to do things profitably for good. I think we can accelerate good and really create synergies between uh, for-profit organizations and nonprofits and solve some of the world's biggest problems. Well, even, from poverty to AIDS and malaria. I mean, it just it's, it's, it's exciting a to think step about.
0: Or two, even the, those nonprofit organizations that you're talking about who receive donations from whom. Well, people yeah. who have made a profit doing yeah. good things for to to raise That's the, right. the people who of life have for
1: jobs people. for companies that are profitable, people that make a profit as entrepreneurs. Yes, exactly. The donations come. It's that that money uh, generally all comes from profits. Even even governments, right? They yes. their revenue comes typically largely from profits, corporate and personal profits. And so, yes, uh, all the money. Uh, is can be tied back to profit so we don't want to vilify profit that's for sure
0: well uh, a book that i i read once uh posed the question uh you say that money is the source of all evil have you ever asked what is the source of all money (laughs) (laughs) and really you know without putting the cart before the horse there has to be a value creation a, a purpose as you've stated it that then generates a positive effect in the lives of real people, and that in turn shows a profit. The profit is a strategic side effect. It's really a receipt for value created. Yeah. And then it becomes the engine for additional good works. I think you've uh, summarized that really nicely for us, Devin.
1: Well, thank you. Oh, I how, appreciate
0: that. How can people get a hold of you or connect with the work that you're doing, possibly hire you to speak if they want you to come to their event? What, what's the best way?
1: Well, uh, devinthorpe.com is uh, probably the easiest place to go, easy to find my contact information there, phone number and email. And, of course, I'm on social media. Uh, I, I'm very active on uh, Twitter at uh, Devon D. Thorpe. So that's a great way to connect with me. Uh, there, I'm also on Facebook, uh, and mm. you know, I, I'm all over the internet. I'm, I'm afraid once you start looking for me, you're gonna it'll pollute your computer, and you'll never be able to get rid of me. It's like a virus because I'm out there so much. So.
0: Subscribe to the Twitter feed. Devin is easy to find on Twitter. You've you've got a very prominent presence there and uh, devinthorpe.com spelled D-E-V-I-N-T-H-O-R-P-E there's a dot .com go check him out you can find his books on Amazon doing some good work in this world Devin any final thoughts you would like to leave with our listeners before we close today? Uh,
1: Paul, it's been a pleasure it's, a, it's great to know you you're a great leader I appreciate your positivity I I wish I had your uh, perfect sense of positivity. I, I envy that, I confess, because sometimes uh, okay. I draw my passion from uh, a sense of anger and frustration at problems I see in the world. And I wish I could could always channel that positivity you have. I try consciously to do that, but, but uh, I, I certainly uh, appreciate your great positive
0: example. Thank you, Devin, and thank you for the good work you're doing in this world. Folks, this is Devin Thorpe at Live on Purpose Radio. It's time. Go out there and live on purpose.